Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Film your hands, you son of a bitch! So, welcome back to another week of Working Title, the podcast where we review the top 250 English language movies on imbd.com. This is a big one for us, episode 20, and also, I think, our first Western. We may see a few more of these. Um, Are we still doing the IMBD shtick? I don't know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anyway, so now this week uh, for episode 20, we're talking about the 1959 uh, film Rio Bravo, uh, kind of one of the classic Western films, um, sort of a traditional entry into the genre, directed by Howard Hawks, who did many of these, and of course, starring John Wayne, who is known uh, almost, in well, not almost entirely, but his fame, you know, derived from his role in Westerns. I think uh, we're going to enjoy this movie. I know June in particular is a big fan of the Western genre. But before we talk about this movie, let's talk about ourselves. Uh, And everyone, please remember to say your name before you introduce yourself. My name is Jack. And if I had to improve one movie by recasting someone to be played by Robocop, I would recast Maria in The Sound of Music. The hills are alive (laughs) with musical notation. (laughs) Please comply. He's just shooting Nazis. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Kidnapping is a capital offense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Who's who's next? How do you solve a problem like Maria? Terminate. (laughs) all right mike (laughs) i can't i mean all right so (laughs) i wouldn't recast anybody as robocop but if i could add robocop to a movie i would definitely put robocop as uh scarlett johansson's character and hers boyfriend i want i I want robocop a recast (laughs) (laughs) instead of the poet it's just robocop (laughs) You lost her because she's lame. <laughs> oh, you add her or add RoboCop as to her. her. Okay, I, I got you. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we're explaining that I thought was going to be necessary. <laughs> All right, June, you want to be next? Shane, there's an order to this. Yeah, we oh, literally no. wrote this down. I'm not looking. Okay. Um, hello, everybody. My name's Shane. And I would recast RoboCop in Martin Scorsese's classic uh, Gangs of New York. He would play the butcher. He would just become the gang of New York. (laughs) I just imagine the opening scene where they're all like walking to each other with like Irish music. He just starts gunning everyone down. (laughs) (laughs) Disperse. Uh, I, All right. I find that funny. Uh. 
returned your home citizen. <laughs> Is this going to be one of those episodes where Shane laughs at every joke he, make, oh, joke yeah. he makes? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. So my name's June, and my RoboCop recast would be as Lenny in Of Mice and Men. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Lenny, you could tend to the rabbits. <laughs> he just shoots rabbits. <laughs> he just turns and shoots him when he turns. I mean, hopefully I'm not spoiling of mice and men for anybody, but be an oh, interesting dynamic when uh, George has to kill Robocop Lenny. <laughs> just rebounds off his armor. Just pa- No, just powers him down. <laughs> Flips a <Powers> switch. <laughs> Okay. Oh, uh, actually, a uh, spoiler for me because I haven't seen that. Uh, haven't seen Robocop? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robocop gets distracted by rabbits. You, you don't know that scene in Of Mice and Men where uh, George powers down Lenny? <laughs> well, it, it sounds like I'm in for a treat. <laughs> it's a real, uh, real thriller. Uh, <sighs> anyway, to the uh, topic at hand, Rio Bravo. So. Instead of my recap, I understand, Shane, you have a kind of the, the one-sentence elevator pitch for this movie for us. Yeah, so really the boardroom pitch for this movie is John Wayne and friends have to survive 40 days while his town is inundated with vampires until the U.S. Marshal and the Sun can come up. This is also the plot to 40 Days at Night. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this movie with that, and you will not unsee it. All right, um... Fuck you guys, that was funny. I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, that I think that was a pretty pretty close. Uh, I think that might make the cast approximation of humor. Yeah, you, that was forty make days it. a night. Just like, hey, we're gonna remake Rio Bravo with vampires. All right, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the uh, the this is kind of an entry into the the sheriff lawman uh, sort of subgenre of westerns. Uh, John Wayne plays a sheriff who has to kind of institute order and uphold the law in his town. And it's him and his deputies against, you know, the the bad guys. Um, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot more to get into it. And so I think let's hand it over to Mike. What happened in this movie? So that's a good start. Like it is about um, a sheriff and his deputies trying to keep control of a town. It starts with um, a bar scene where we have a drunken man who comes into the bar and is, um, I don't know, he's kind of teased by a man named Joe. And Joe's the bad guy of this, this film. And Joe throws a coin, and this man whose name is um, The Dude um, is a drunk, and he goes for the coin. But then Joe turns and uh, shoots a guy and murders a guy. So really, it doesn't really matter what I'm saying, but it, all that matters from the scene was Joe murders a guy. And that's when John Wayne's character shows up, who's Chance, um, John Chance, and arrest Joe. Turns out that the dude is actually one of the deputies of Chance and has kind of fallen out with Chance from his alcoholism and uh, comes back into good graces with him to help arrest Joe, who is a known kind of, a I don't know, a gangster, a murderer of this little town in Texas. Um, he's part of the... The, uh, uh, the Burdett. Burdett family who is known to be kind of a wealthier family. And this entire movie kicks off with John Wayne's character holding Joe uh, in captivity 
until the U.S. Marshal shows up a week later to put him to trial. Yep. I'll start us off. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think, June? I fucking love Technicolor. It has a great vibe, especially in a Western. And especially after watching two movies back-to-back that were unnecessarily black and white. It it was very refreshing to see a film that's older than the last two, I think, uh, but also in color. So, uh, yeah, fuck you, Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah, for real. Honestly, a Western would feel a bit off without being in Technicolor. Oh, for sure. It also makes everyone really tan. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was golden in this. So, delving into the opening scene uh, a little more, it, it kind of starts out. It starts out with dude, who we perceive to be kind of weak and has no money to buy a drink or whatever, and Joe kind of taunts him by throwing a, a silver dollar into a spittoon, which happens a lot in this movie. People are very accurate with their money throwing. Um, yeah, I think it only happens twice. I mean, that's twice more than I could do on the People first People are very throw. accurate in general in this movie. They don't <laughs> miss anything they shoot at, throw yeah. at, piss at. So I think a uh, dude kind of begrudgingly goes to retrieve the silver dollar and uh, John Wayne's character Chance shows up and like, you know, kicks it out of uh, before, before he can get it in a kind of like, where's your dignity, dude, kind of thing. He then, there, there's a scuffle and dude gets punched, uh, takes some shots. And uh, this is where I realized, like, it's crazy to see how much movie scores have changed. It was almost more reminiscent of the stage in, in this time, I guess. Like, so when the when dude gets punched, like, with every impact, it's like, don't punch, don't <laughs> punch. And it just, it, yeah, it's something stings. that, yeah, but, like, could you imagine if, they try to do that today people would be like oh man like that's so corny <laughs> but back then it was like oh something bad happened it there was a sting yeah, yeah. So, i mean i just noticed that with the the score it's just how much it's changed over the years and then like when when a person's knocked out there's like the boom 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah i i did think this was a pretty well i mean they just uh, jumped right into the action with this one, which I, I I enjoyed. Like they really just set the tone and hit the ground running, which is kind of been uncommon for I think a few movies of this era that we've seen. Specifically, like westerns too. A lot of them can be drawn out, you know. Yeah, and there were times where this was a little drawn out, but general. Well, I mean, especially at the beginning here, we just we just went right into it, and the conflict was established mm-hmm. pretty much immediately. And even some of the character arcs were kind of set into play. Um, you know, for example, Dean Martin's character, dude, um, who does not drink white Russians and does not <laughs> abide. Um, his his arc was was telegraphed pretty well, and I thought it was enjoyable. I do like um, with the opening shot because the I, I'll start off with I do I did love this movie. I enjoyed it a lot, um, but it needed a lot of fat trimming. But not in the beginning, because that opening shot where, like, he's kind of stumbling through, we're following dude. I really loved how they set it up, because you felt like, oh, this seems like a real old Western bar. Like, they're shaving someone, and, like, there's a lot happening in this bar as he wanders around. So they kind of set it all up. 
it's a little long, I feel like, but it's good. When in, later in the movie, there's a lot of things you're like, okay, we could, we could really trim this scene up or just cut this one out. But yeah. the opening is stellar. Um, yeah. So I yeah. guess with the opening in mind, Mike, do you want to kind of walk us forward a little more? Yeah, so the, with the intro being kind of most of the prevalent part of this film, uh, kind of sets us off for the rest of what's going to happen. Uh, we go into the next day where now that we've had um, John Wayne meet the dude and they kind of had their own scuffle and we had uh, Joe get arrested, it's now the following day where now the dude is now wearing a, uh, a sheriff's badge or a deputy's badge and a caravan comes into this small town being led by uh, Mr. Wheeler. And Mr. Wheeler is, he's, you know, he's known in this town, but he's not like, he's not part of the town. Um, the dude stops him and is recognized by Mr. Wheeler as uh, Baracho, which in Spanish means the drunk or drunk. So it's it's definitely kind of the dude's arc that he is an alcoholic and that there's something behind that story about him being a drunk in this town. Uh, he moves on and comes up to the sheriff, where the sheriff is now guarding his prison with Joe, who's locked up. There's only three people who are part of the sheriff's department in this town. It's it's John, um, whose name is Chance, and it's the dude, and uh, a new character whose name is Stumpy. Stumpy's this old cripple who is holding a shotgun out the door, and that's kind of his introduction, is that he's an old kind of, I don't know, cripple that also works for the sheriff's department. Um Mr. Wheeler tries to find out what's been happening, and, and he offers his services to Chance. Uh, Chance turns him down and says that you shouldn't, like, be, you know... He's, he's turning down everybody in this town and saying that, like, you know, he's, he can handle it. It's obvious that Chance doesn't want this to accelerate or to exacerbate and become, like, a like a big problem. So, Mr. Wheeler, he pulls his, his caravan into this town, and they're allowed to stay for however long they need to resupply and move on. Um... Story continues, and we go into the uh, the local hotel, where Chance is talking to the uh, parishioner of the hotel, whose name is Carlos, um, <clears throat> and Carlos is kind of runs the hotel with his uh, wife, whose name is um, Consella. Consella. So. Con- Consuela. 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 <laughs> and she speaks very better Spanish than me. Very better. <laughs> very better English too. Very, very, very English. Much gooder. <laughs> I chose my word. <laughs> I said what I meant. <laughs> so we find out in their interactions that there is also a couple of other characters who come into this in this show, which uh, I don't think they're really story like pushers, but they're definitely prominent characters. Uh, one of them is uh, her name is Feathers, and she is a traveling gambler slash. I don't know, like prevalent woman who is a trickster. Like her character didn't really hit for me, so you guys can go into that later. But she's there, and she is a like a card shark. And uh, Chance kind of hits on that fact and has a little bit of a relationship with her. Anyways, throughout their dealings with um, Wheeler, is shot in the middle of the night, and they find out that um, Joe's brother is paying people in the town to assassinate the the sheriff's department, like deputies and anybody who's trying to help out. He's trying to get his brother Joe out of jail. This all leads up to 
kind of Joe's brother showing up to talk to Chance, and they have a confrontation in the jail, and they both um, leave the situation agreeing that Chance is going to put him to justice, and David, his brother, is going to do everything he can to get him out of jail using his influence on the town. Yeah, so this is... um... It's one of those things where a lot of things happen in this movie, but the plot itself is not super complicated. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot to unpack in, the, in what we just covered with Mike, uh, especially with the, the female character, which I, I'll save for a little bit. Um, but I think, did we mention that he meets Colorado um, through Wheeler? I didn't mention that at all. Yeah, Colorado doesn't really come into the spotlight much in this kind of first section of the movie, but he's one of the hired guns for Wheeler's caravan and um he initially states that he doesn't want to help out um chance because he's he knows to mind his own business with uh, which i think chance kind of respects so you brought up uh you know the plot wasn't all that inspiring and i i I agree this is really no different than countless other westerns that are out there um the story is you know pretty pretty cookie cutter uh, in my opinion oh yeah um, i was gonna say john wayne should just hire seven samurai to come help him but you know. yeah <laughs> well what i would say june is don't get me wrong like i'm not i'm not complaining about this plot i think it's just the 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 overall notes of the plot are not overly right. complex right yeah and uh you know it's, it's stuff we've seen before but it's still exciting in a way and um i I do want to touch on the characters um there was a lot of development specifically with uh dude we kind of are introduced to the idea that he used to be like real good with a gun but then i i may have misheard this but i believe he had a previous relationship with feathers or was that with just with another woman no he just another woman yeah okay I thought yeah, so, the same thing initially too. Okay. Yeah. So he he ran off. Uh, he was this big wig, you know, gunslinger dude, and then he ran off with this woman, and then came back as as borachon or a, a drunkard, and now can't really uh, do much. And so we kind of are introduced into that story arc of him. We know he's going to recover at some point, right? Yeah. But what was interesting to me was the character of Colorado. So. Typically in Westerns, we see the young, hothead, you know, gunman dude, and he's always cocky. Uh, He's trying to place himself into situations where he doesn't belong, right? He wants to be part of the posse. Uh, Colorado was a refreshing antithesis to that, and that, you know, he's mature for being so young, and he knows his place and doesn't want any part, any trouble kind of thing. So what I want to say is kind of along those lines one thing that i like a lot about the western genre is that and you could say the the same thing about the original star wars too um is that it plays a lot of things straight it relies a lot on archetypes and kind of um stories that everyone is familiar with and in a sense are almost kind of ingrained into the human experience um and it plays a lot of these straight and it um it's almost like a morality play or a fable for 20th century America. Um, you know, I think a lot of the character arcs are really recognizable. 
you know, like we mentioned, dude kind of has this redemption arc. Uh, he's fallen and he, over the course of the movie, you know, we expect him to get back up. Uh, we have the, the gruff sheriff who refuses help, but needs it and help comes to him anyway. We have uh, Colorado, who is kind of almost like a, a proto Han Solo, where he doesn't want to get involved, but he can't help himself. You know, and, and there's a bunch of those. And it's kind of a familiar story where, you know, it's it's the good guys holding out against the bad guys, kind of a traditional Western American Alamo type deal. You so specify, I, I re- you specify 20th century America or I, I don't do you mean like 19th century or so the I, I think it's kind of like a a story of, from the 20th century about, you know, the 19th century. Gotcha. If that makes okay. sense. But yeah, you know, gotcha. it, it, you know, in the same way that, you know, Aesop's fables were, you know, ancient, these are kind of Aesop's fables for, you know, 1950 through 1970, you know. Well, the, the theme song of this movie was definitely um, in, I guess, homage to the Alamo. Like when they're playing later on the movie, they start to play that uh, trumpet, like the, when the Mexicans were playing, I think it was called. Um, De Guayo. Yeah, I guess, I guess to kind of sum up what I'm saying, there's something about, even though they're not complicated notes to play, to use an analogy, it's it's something that I think, as human beings, we're almost hardwired to appreciate. Well, it yeah. is it is Chance and the Dude and, um, you know, Colorado's and uh, Stumpy's Alamo. There's four people versus an entire gang of, of bad guys out in the city. So they're holding yeah. up in the little, you know, sheriff's shack, waiting Ooh. for six days, which is essentially the Alamo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they didn't need to do anything complicated with this movie. You get to spend time with each character, which is nice too with it because as we're like talking about these characters, there's no wasted character. You like you could see that there's opportunities for the hotel owner to just be some like joke character, but like he actually is a person and mm-hmm. like it pays off. Every character pays off. It's a very funny character though. That, that hotel owner was definitely the, uh, kind of the comic relief. And, well, yeah. and I liked, it was kind of refreshing too, from like a 1959 movie. It really wasn't racist per se. Like, you know so, what I mean? Like it was played pretty straight how people would have interacted and it wasn't like, so there is some controversy surrounding that. Um, hmm. So the hotel owner name is Carlos. He's played by uh, Pedro Gonzalez Gonzalez, who was kind of t- typically cast. He's in a few other John Wayne movies as the comic relief, but that wasn't by virtue of you know him being kind of a <clears throat> eccentric uh, Mexican. It was because Pedro Gonzalez Gonzalez is hilarious. He's a comedian. He's <laughs> if you get a chance, uh, watch his uh, Groucho Marx. Uh, uh, piece it, it's it's hilarious ah i liked uh i liked his interaction with consuela where the very beginning when she first shows up that she does like in 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 spanish she says some piece and i i googled it to like figure out what she was saying and she had like accused him of being the cat that eats the chicken in other words he's kind of like messing around and in spanish she's like i'm going to keep an eye on you but i don't think you're the cat that eats the chicken but i think you might be that and it was, uh, it was it was a good kind of translation. On the yeah, note, though, it oh, yeah, plays up ahead. later. 
What's that, Shane? I was going to say, although I noted that I didn't think any character was wasted, the female character in this was abhorrent. Like, if, if that Kill was feathers? A, that feathers, like, I feel so sorry for that actress. Like, the writers just wrote her such a shit part, and it could have been really cool. There were so many opportunities for her character to be so much better, but instead, she just wants to fuck John Wayne really, really badly. <laughs> she didn't have yeah. anything to add to this movie. Like, she threw a flower pot through a window later on to distract um, some of the gang members, but that was it. And I didn't buy that for a second. Colorado is a stunning-looking man. She'd be throwing herself at him for sure, not John Wayne. Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> fuck. I mean, I will say I think her character was important in showing like the changes in John Wayne's character. Right? Did he change? But he she was always a good guy. She, in and of herself, didn't really like. She was lacking in her own motivations. She was lacking in. Um, like she wasn't there as like a fully formed character. She was just there as a prop for. Yeah, I chance. thought they were gonna do something more like she's a criminal and you know she's kind of his challenge. Like he can't boss her around and she's you know his equal kind of. But nope, she's just real thirsty. Well, <laughs> it just says you gotta wait. <laughs> I'd, I'd say counterpoint to that too, though. Going back to what Jack mentioned about you know the kind of the archetypes. Like typically we'll see a uh, you know beautiful woman from back east who comes to the west and becomes a damsel in distress kind of thing mm-hmm. uh which is where i thought that the character of feathers was gonna go but again it was actually the opposite you know she's actually a kind of a gambling degenerate right you yeah know, she fits with, in but I, I just think they could have laid it yeah. on a little less thick i think it would have been this, better this was a 1959 movie she was definitely a casualty of the time like she was put in there to make john wayne look better um, I so honestly, disagree. the story though without her is very good. It's just that from our perspective in 2020, not necessary. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is the movie would be worse without her character in it, but it's not a strong and well-formed character. Right, but we have yet to talk about the best character in this movie, Stumpy. The <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't look away. Every time he's just always upset and just mumbling. He's like the Cajun from Waterboy, but with a shotgun. <laughs> and he That's just, just the Cajun from he Waterboy. just sits in the cave like a troll and just gives people alcohol and guards <laughs> prisoners. Now I will say that that character definitely is an archetype. Like <laughs> old prospector you know, the, Joe, <laughs> the loyal to a fault sidekick who isn't quite all that you know important but comes through in the end kind of thing well he has his own little arc too and i mean we'll talk about that later but even he kind of takes this journey as a a character too it's it's a small one but i think it's not inconsequential is it bad to say that i liked all the characters more than john wayne like he kind of just bored me yeah so i have a point about that later yeah Yeah, because like I, I always remember John Wayne as like this great actor and I was watching and I'm like everyone is running circles around him he just looks like he's just here yeah I have a point about that um, yeah I mean personally I don't feel like and, and we'll talk more about his character later I suppose but I don't feel like you know it was poorly acted I just feel like of the characters that we saw his was also one of the weaker mm-hmm. yeah I also like how they treat dudes alcoholism by just giving him beer <laughs> 
<laughs> I do want to beer's water. I do want to uh, bring up Colorado's introduction. Mm-hmm. So, do you get to like pick your own state-based nickname? <laughs> like, can there only be one Colorado? You know, were there only however many states were in the union at the time, like thirty-eight people? <laughs> so, so they like, actually, some actually other guy his... comes in from like. Well, Colorado so that's what Springs. I'm saying. <laughs> like, you know, to be introduced, like, this here's Colorado. Like, sounds pretty sweet. But it'd be different if it was like, ah, this here's New Hampshire. <laughs> I'm Connecticut. <laughs> no, they come in and they're like, this here's Colorado. He was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm Massachusetts. What about it? <laughs> would, uh, would the state of Colorado have existed at the time? I think so. Yeah. Or would he, would he have been named after the river? Oh no, the mm. river-based names. Oh no, <laughs> no, because it, it said that his his dad was from Denver. Oh. Yeah, yeah, because his dad was a gunslinger. Colorado River doesn't go through Denver. Yeah, but... Colorado reached statehood in 1876, so it would have been a state, mm-hmm. most likely. When does this movie take place? Sometime in the antebellum period. Mm. <laughs> For those who don't know what that is, that's between 1776 and 2020. I thought it was a, it was a band. That means oh, wait, post-Civil no, what's the, War. Wait, what's the, appos- what's the opposite of antebellum? Pre-bellum? Pre-bellum? <laughs> po- post- <laughs> post-bellum? Post-bellum? No, that, that means the same thing. <laughs> Doesn't antebellum mean before the war? Oh, yeah, because parabellum is... No. 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 <laughs> not, not even close, but... In this episode, the gang learns Latin. <laughs> Wait, Post Malone's Latin? (laughs) (laughs) Antebellum, you're right, is is before the Civil War. I I got that mixed up. But was that before or after Malone? (laughs) Antebellum. (laughs) Antebellum. I mean, everything's Antebellum up until, what, 2013? All right. Well, this happened sometime between 1876 and 1890, probably. Yeah. We're gonna. Okay. We're just gonna assume for discussion points that Colorado is a state at this time, and one of the characters has adopted it also as his name. Um, Colorado is probably my favorite character. Dude would be second because Colorado is just cool. So to kind of talk about the other characters so far, um, I think Dude kind of has an interesting um, arc here, and I think his is probably the most well developed transformation in the film. In that he starts out like a real, real mess. Uh, Chance comes in and intervenes uh, when Joe is like humiliating him, right? Joe is the one who tosses the coin into the spittoon and um, Chance kicks it over before dude can reach into it to get the coin, right? And um, that's kind of what leads to the events that start all this off. And then dude helps him arrest Joe in the following scene. And then I think they do a lot here where they kind of play with Joe's weaknesses and strengths. So uh, like you mentioned, Mike, they send this assassin to kill, um, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Wheeler. Wheeler. Yeah. And they catch him and pursue him. And dude is able to get a shot off on him, but he doesn't know if they hit. And he fled into this tavern or this bar or saloon. I guess saloon is the Western term. I've been playing too much Dungeons and Dragons. Um, (laughs) Saloon that is owned by Nathan Burdett, who's, you know, the the brother of Joe. 
And there's kind of this discussion about who goes in the front door, who goes in the back door. Dude's not allowed in the tavern anymore. So he usually has to go in the back door, but he decides to go in the front door, you know, as to kind of change things up and do something unexpected. He also said he wants to, he wants to prove that he can. Yeah, exactly. And, um, as he goes in the tavern, they're looking for this gunman, uh, when they don't find him among the kind of usual tavern client or saloon clientele, Jesus, when they don't find him there, they offer him a drink. And it's always these moments for dude where they offer him a drink that are these turning points for him. And as he walks up to it, he notices that blood is dripping down from above into the drink where the gunman, the assassin is hiding. And he plays it kind of cool before spinning around and shooting him out of the, the rafters of the saloon. Um, which is really a cool moment because I, I like the way they juxtapose that drink they put in front of him with this pivotal moment for him. And then, of course, a few scenes later, before they leave, they, uh, in the process of checking all the people in the tavern, one more threw a, a coin into a spittoon for him, and they make him get the coin back out before they go in kind of a, a bookend of that opening scene here. Yeah, two oh, things yeah. to say. Say them. All right. So first <laughs> off, again, beer is water. Apparently, like him giving him beer is nothing. And second off, there was so much blood dripping into that beer that everybody in that bar should have fucking noticed. <laughs> that guy was gushing <laughs> yeah. blood, like he was just pouring blood off. I was like, and I'm just trying to get the dimensions of this place. So he was standing over the bar, I guess, and just. Because they play it off cool, like, oh, none of us noticed that there's pints of blood pouring from the rafters right now. Yeah, they might have got a little heavy with the uh, the prop there, but I think the context of that scene was important, like Jack was saying, because it, it does show that even in that like fleeting second, he was able to hit him despite being a shell of what he used to be kind of thing, right? I also think they were doing, I at least I thought at first, because there was so much blood, I was like, that blood's not really there. This is like his like mind playing tricks on him with the booze. Like, I, that's what I thought. I thought it was like a cinematic thing, and that's why he didn't drink it. Turns out there's a dude pouring blood from his leg above him, but <laughs> I, well, no, I thought I mean, it was more cinematic. All, not all old movies are Hitchcock movies. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to keep in mind with this movie is it plays it straight. Every oh, yeah. every pitch is right down the middle of the base, you know. <laughs> they they also showed the gunman in the rafters before the whole blood thing happened. Right, so. yeah, right. There's no trickery here. Yeah. And well. like I've said already, I think this movie was better for how earnest and genuine it was and you know, it's it's simple plot. It's a it's movie characters. even a drunk person could follow. It was it was a relief compared to the last couple of movies we watched. Oh, for yes. fuck's sake! Can you imagine Virginia Woolf in this? <laughs> Straightforward, like in the beginning, just somebody be like, "They're all fucking crazy." We're just gonna make Virginia Woolf his love interest. <laughs> so we've talked Virgin- a lot about this kind of half of the movie. Or was there something you wanted to add, Angie, before we move on? I just want to clarify that Virginia Woolf was not a character in any <laughs> movies we watched. <laughs> the only relation Virginia Woolf has to the film Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is in the title. <laughs> anyway, I, I think we've discussed plenty about uh, this first half or so. 
Mike, do you want to kind of take us forward? Yeah, so up to this point, we have um, David, who has now kind of set up the town up to uh, try to break his brother Joe out of prison. And um, Chance, the dude, Stumpy, and now with the combination of um, the Colorado, they're the, the last kind of last four people who are trying to defend the jail until the marshal can show up. And it's about six days, they say in the film, until the marshal gets there. So... There's a lot of like kind of small scenes in this film. It's definitely a little bit of a slower thing where you kind of there's a lot of good scenes where they're kind of like patrolling the town, a lot of character development. The dude ends up becoming like kind of relapsing and what ends up happening toward the like the kind of the third quarter of this movie is uh, the dude who has now become sober uh, has a relapse. And during this relapse, he's captured by the people in the town who've been paid off by David um, to hold him captive to try to do a trade to get Joe out of prison. And David kind of said that he's he's going to not be a part of this. He's going to do everything he can to not be in, uh, kind of accused of doing any crimes, but he's going to pay everybody to commit his crimes for him. So it's very prevalent in this end of the film that that has happened, where a bunch of these people end up having a bunch of gold coins in their pockets, and they capture day or sorry they capture um the dude and chance has to do kind of a trade-off with joe this is getting close to the end of the film where he comes out and uh has kind of a show-off with some of the gang members who are part of this town i don't know if you guys want to like talk about that or you just want to straight to the end yeah let's take a minute before you we'll, we'll kind of talk about the finale as its own little piece but yeah i think you know maybe this is a little less meaty for discussion you know, compared to the first section where we kind of establish all the characters. But I think we do see a lot of steps in the characters' arcs. We have this, uh, the crisis of faith for a dude as he, kind of what happens to him is he gets kind of some of the, the goons from the Burdettes get the drop on him and kidnap him and kind of uh, um, start this plot where they, they try to break Joe out and between Colorado feathers and chance they're able to foil it and rescue dude but he kind of has so there's a lot that goes in here and the only reason i'm kind of doing the kind of a more broad like kind of storytelling of this film is this story definitely has a broad kind of aspect to it with a lot of little details in between Mm -hmm. and if i were to hit every single one of them i'd be talking for 10 minutes straight so oh yeah for sure yeah i'm just saying that this is kind of kind of another step in dude's arc where he has this crisis of faith but then you know he it comes back to him as he hears the music that uh, Nathan Burdett has paid the band at the saloon to play constantly, um, <laughs> which, as we mentioned, is the Degueo, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the song that the Mexican army played outside of the it's Alamo. Called the, it's called the Cutthroat Song. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, kind of another recognizable arc where a character starts this path of redemption, has a, a crisis of faith, and then recovers um this is the moment where colorado decides to throw in his lot with the sheriff where he's been kind of trying to stay out of it before but you know he couldn't help himself in helping the sheriff and now is involved and it's kind of what's cool about that arc is they're playing the cutthroat song and it's supposed to be a song to drive the people within the city walls i don't know a little bit crazy it's kind of like made to make them mad but it ends up becoming the dude's redemption song later Mm -hmm. on which is pretty neat that he took this thing that was supposed to drive him mad and fixed himself with it 
Yeah, kind of steals his resolve. I feel so yeah. bad for that trumpeter. Like, they just showed up into town. They're like, yeah, we're going to play this gig. Oh, God, we have to play the same song every day, all day. <laughs> <laughs> we're starving musicians, a thing back in the pre-Civil War era. They're just wandering around just playing this Listen, song. <laughs> they, he gave him 50 gold pieces, or like 50 like gold, right? It's like it was a dollar gold thing. $50. We're not playing d 50 gold, whatever it is. <laughs> he gave him 50 gold. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the same amount that he paid a hitman. So think about what it costs to pay a hitman nowadays and then pay a musician that same amount. Yeah, they're going to play the same song for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did it in the cantina on Tatooine. So. <laughs> I, just, I just wonder if someone's like going to bed and they just hear... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> How much would I have to pay you to kill somebody? Twenty thousand? Thirty thousand? Fifty dollars. Yeah. Fifty dollars. <laughs> Fifty gold. Oh, shit. Fifty gold. <laughs> and not 50 one gold. silver less. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I did like from a meta standpoint that they did incorporate DeGuayo and in, into the central plot of the movie. because um, up until the uh, the point when Colorado explains the meaning of the song. I would have just passed it off as like, oh, it's that same song I've heard in like 12 other Westerns. Um, yeah. So to add that in and to describe the symbol, the um, symbolism that, you know, the song basically means like no mercy. Um, yeah. It's a badass like, song too. Yeah. And then like Mike was saying, it would then go on to drive the uh, dude um, to kind of regain his composure Really good. So, on a different musical note, um, <laughs> yes, let's let's talk about that scene. There was a scene where they had uh, both Dude and Colorado singing with each other. Oh boy! And Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson are both pretty famous singers in their own right. Did they just? Jam this scene in just to have those two singing 100%. so they can advertise it. Absolutely, and both. Is this the Western equivalent of Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones? <laughs> but it was really good. I actually thought that in the very beginning, I was like, "Are they going to go this whole movie without exploiting Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson's voice?" <laughs> and they did not. That scene was very out of place, but god damn it, <laughs> those songs were good. So it was out of 100% place. 100% out of place. <laughs> they and are on my Spotify. They're lip syncing, uh, not so much uh, Ricky Nelson's, but Dean Martin's lip syncing was terrible. It was so off. I uh, don't know that they were lip syncing. I'd l- look at it, watch it again. It'll drive you bonkers. Well, back then they must have been. They must have been in some kind of studio. Anyways, I like when Stumpy is like, I want to sing a song with you. And then he just plays his harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> plays dueling banjos yeah it's like this whole like we can't hold up we gotta go out on patrol except to sing this song (laughs) and they don't just do one song they do two two. (laughs) that was a good 15 minutes it felt like you could have chopped out of this movie yeah this was not a short movie and like you said Shane there was there was a bit of fat to be trimmed which is forgivable for a movie from 1959 but and dean martin's voice 
sounded out of place for the time. Like, I just didn't need to hear a crooner singing old cowboy songs. <laughs> crooner? Yeah, he was crooning. Do we want to discuss anything else here? Or should we talk about the finale? Um, did we cover when she is telling uh, John Wayne or Chance her plan to keep him from getting shot? And that's to sleep in her bedroom? And she does kind of throw herself at him. I, I felt like we kind of were trying to avoid her character. <laughs> it's not subtle at all. <laughs> well, I mean, their first encounter is when she he suspects her of uh, like pulling a fast one with the cards of a poker deck. And she tries to get him to search her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, is it here? Yes. I don't think so. You're going to have to search me. <laughs> and John Wayne's like, go away. <laughs> John Wayne is the dense one who doesn't doesn't pick up what she's putting down at all. He's like, I need to go to bed. <laughs> I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> she's she. They said she's 22 in this film. I, that's all I could think about too. I was like, John, how old is John Wayne in this? So before we get into the next section, um, this is kind of the the preparation, the stereotypical preparation before the big shootout, right? Yeah. We all know it's coming. Um, and up until this point, the I think we've kind of reached the uh, the apex of the character arcs, and uh, the dynamics were just so interesting, right? Like, dude is the strongest character. He's you know, this deadly gunslinger who fell off the wagon, but then through the help of his friends or whatever, finds himself. Colorado is, you know, mature for his age, suave, eccentric, gun for hire, turned legitimate deputy. And Chance is just the guy who crashes through doors and falls a lot. <laughs> he trips over everything. Oh, you can tell John Wayne did his own stunts. He just like <laughs> rolls into a room. Oh, I forgot to mention too, when he pirouette punches. Oh, yeah. Oh, he does that spin move to hit someone in the face with a rifle. On one foot, he's just like, yeah! And he just spins around. He pirouettes again when he gets a gun. We're like, they're like, we're going to get him. And he gets a gun off the shelf. He pirouette grabs it. And I'm like, God, John Wayne loves that that spin move. So going into the last part, I don't know if you guys, any of you guys said this, but when he gets ambushed in the... Uh... So what they do is they end up coming up with a plan where they're just going to sit in the jail for the next four days until the marshal gets there. So and the first like, thing they do is leave the jail. <laughs> exactly. They go and they get some supplies in town in order to sit in the jail. And of course, and they're you know going out to get the supplies, they get called to the hotel. And John Wayne's upstairs talking to um, Feathers and ends up getting ambushed. Like the dude is taking a shower because he can't sit in the jail for four days because he smells so bad. That Stumpy's like, you need to have a shower before we do this <laughs> this lockup. And so <laughs> they go to the hotel to have a shower and get supplies. And John Wayne gets ambushed. And his ambush is him running down the stairs where they set up a rope at the bottom of the staircase. And he trips. I swear to God, he actually in real life fucking tripped. <laughs> <laughs> like he got injured doing that scene. They didn't tell John Wayne that there was a rope to trip him at the bottom of the stairs. Like, all right, John, you're going to run down these stairs real quick. And everyone's just watching. He's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they also like spent a lot of time scheming for the, to basically just home alone him. 
it was just it was so intense. They were like, all right, so we're going to get this rope and we're going to string it across the stairs. And then you're going to call up to him and he's going to run down. And <laughs> Jesus like, Christ. Just like all of them forgot that they have guns. Yeah. Uh, every single one of them. <laughs> They're not very good criminals to begin with because they walk the sheriffs when they finally come up with a great idea to just lock themselves in the jail instead of patrolling every night to be sniped why wouldn't you have done this all along like oh we just need to wait five days oh we'll just chill here in the jail yeah that's a good idea no one could come in except through the door since no one knows any other way because even john wayne when he's like i'm going in just burst through the door to get shot <laughs> So I think our, our last podcast, our prompt was if you can come up with something that would like uh, break down like a plot hole, <laughs> like ruin a movie. So I hadn't seen this movie when I did that podcast, but now I changed my answer. <laughs> this is the movie that has a big plot hole. There is a caravan with dynamite off on like the river right next to that. They end up using dynamite to rule out like to like kind of fish out the bad guys why the fuck didn't the bad guys go get the dynamite and blow up the prison? Like, well, they could have done the same thing. Or that would have died. No, they just... They, well, that's not what happened, because at the end of the movie, they blow open a hole in the wall, and everybody comes out with their hands up. So it's non-lethal dynamite. Non-lethal dynamite. I, I thought the plot hole would just be, they don't go out, they just sit in the jail until the marshal gets there. That's an even bigger <laughs> plot hole. We could just do all the plot hole twists with this movie. Except Stumpy would have drove them crazy and the smell of the dude. So maybe they would have had to come out. <laughs> all right. Well, we're, we're starting to talk about the finale anyway. So tell us what happens in the finale, Mike. Uh, well, so I've already pretty much covered it. Um, what ends up happening at the end of this film is they go to the hotel. That whole thing happens where they get kind of like caught by surprise where they come up with a plan to stay in the, uh, the prison. So in the final scene... Uh, I guess they're kind of actually kind of missed this part because I stopped watching it. So <laughs> the dude and Colorado and uh, Chance end up getting into a big shootout with the gang members uh, who have now kind of like taken over part of the town. And they go and they use Wheeler's dynamite that he had in his caravan to kind of flush them out. And at the end of the scene, like really, Chance, the dude, and Colorado are just, like, winning the entire time. Like, they're, like, <laughs> making snippy comments at each other. Like, they're being, like, in charge of the entire situation. And they end up kind of, like, blowing up the house where Joe and his brother David are kind of held up. Because there's, there's an exchange. I didn't go into that. There's an exchange where they had captured the dude during the hotel scene. And Chance and um, Colorado go out to trade Joe for the dude. And while they're sending Joe and and uh, the dude across the lines, the dude kind of tackles Joe and gets into a fist fight with him. And that kicks off an entire gunfight between Chance and Colorado and a bunch of the paid off kind of um, um, mercenaries that have been hired by David to fight against him. And they end up using the dynamite to blow up the building that david and all of the mercenaries are held up in which they give up and they surrender who, and they are all arrested i'm sorry who is david david's his brother oh nathan burdett <laughs> i was thinking i was like i don't know who david is but maybe it's a character and i missed it why have i been calling him david this whole time <laughs> roll, roll it back let's we're starting over <laughs> all right welcome to episode 20 of working title also when you keep saying the dude all i'm picturing is the dude being handed off he's just, man like i'm just out here trying to you just messing up my rugs 
That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Can you just like, how about we do this? I'm going to record myself saying Nathan and then just like <laughs> just uh, cut it in. Superimpose it <laughs> all over whatever I said. And that's what Nathan goes in. And <laughs> all right. Anyway, was, was there more to this recap that we cut off? Am I fired? You're, you're on paid administrative leave. <laughs> so, um, what I will say, th- there's a few things I want to say about this finale. Um, the pacing of this finale is just wonky. <laughs> they are, they get into this big firefight. It's this big Western showdown. They're, you know, ducking behind bricks and shooting at each other and chucking dynamite around but they also find the time to just like wave a dude and he waves back <laughs> he's like what are y'all doing over there oh yeah you know y'all come over here well, <laughs> they like, watch him fist fight I, that guy i don't think he's gonna beat him on oh, their money he beat him <laughs> <laughs> the pacing of i mean it, it was it was a pretty good finale but the pacing of it was just all over the place at times well, and like I, I really like the they're flanking him. They're they're like running around. There. He's like, oh, if they get past that creek, we're in a lot of trouble. And Stumpy just blows them all away. And that's the big reveal. Is like, oh, Stumpy, you came. Why wouldn't Stumpy come? After they made a big show of telling Stumpy not to come, it was pretty obvious that he was going to. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and like you see how Jesus. many guys start coming out of that house and i'm like there was like 40 dudes in that house there's not enough windows to shoot from were guys just sitting there waiting their turn it's <laughs> <That's> a it's <laughs> a clown car of a ranch it really was. <laughs> like, oh tom's dead get up there john all right <laughs> they're even making fun of each other because like john Wynn was hitting those dynamite sticks like a like a pot shot like each time and then the dude took two shots and they're like ha you took two to hit that one like, you're killing people like these are, <laughs> these are lives. So on on a similar note, so this whole thing happens because they watch Joe murder someone in cold blood and want to deliver him to justice, and the U.S. Marshal needs to take him to stand trial or some shit like that, right? What's the marshal going to think when he rides into the? <laughs> so they're keeping this guy alive, and so he can stand trial. In the meantime, they're just killing the shit out of at least. 30 people over the course of this movie. And in some cases, they shoot first. Huh. I didn't think about that. What, what is the message here? <laughs> Why not just shoot Joe? This man's going to stand for trial. Bang! And no one's going to get in my way. <laughs> I mean, if Frontier Justice is good enough for the guy who killed, uh, what's his name, Mr. Wheeler, then... I will kill each and every one, last one of you to see this murderer put in prison. <laughs> I, I I will say I like the classic uh, like shootout because you knew it's com- you knew it was coming, and then it came and it was. I was kind of waiting for it to be dumb, but it it was fun. They're all bantering. No one seems to care. They're being shot at. The hotel owner comes out there and helps. Like it's. Bunch of the gang. Apparently, they're all crack shots. Except now, they can only hit dynamite, not people. But I'm just, I'm just happy that it's not like over dramatized. Oh yeah. Like if someone, if someone were to make this movie today, like a main character would have gotten killed. You know, and and sometimes that adds to the story. But in this case, it was just fun to like 
you know, kind of sit back and, you know, and enjoy a good shootout, I guess. I was waiting for the, the wagon to roll up with the Gatling gun. Like, they got a Gatling gun. <laughs> <laughs> Just explosions everywhere. Giant spider mechanical beast comes over the... <laughs> <laughs> I do declare I'm taking my brother home today in this... <laughs> Especially when Dynamite, I was like, oh no, there's going to be like explosions everywhere. They're going to look down and be like, they rigged the place to blow. Like... <laughs> horses have dynamite on them <laughs> i'm telling you, you with this movie you just gotta expect no twists no surprises everything played straight yeah there there are westerns where things are more complex like there's i don't know like true grit or whatever you know quentin tarantino was doing at the time <laughs> um, you know and those are more complex with more layers and more nuance and they're great movies, but this one just plays it straight, and it's a great movie for it. So, <laughs> so I, so Shane, you said like the payoff in this film was the big shootout at the end. I waited so long for the payoff that I actually stopped watching and started cooking dinner, and I missed the entire shootoff at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too long. It was just too goddamn I'm, long. And when they all surrender, there's like ten dudes that come out. They still outnumber John Wayne. A lot. More like, well, I mean, they blew up the front door. Why not just run out the back and continue to shoot? Like, spread out. I don't know. They left their Alamo. You know, there's a lot of, like, tactical issues with this. I mean, obviously, John Wayne and Dude could have been gunned down, like, a thousand times when they did their night patrols. But... Well, since I'm, I'm admitting to, like, not paying attention after, like, the very end of the movie, why didn't they go back to the prison and hold up in the Alamo? Like, that was the original plan. They just, like, gave that up, and they just decided, like, fuck it, let's go shoot them all out? Well, the dude got taken. Oh, yeah. Because okay. they had to do the prisoner exchange. Yep. Which... And at that point, they were already shooting, so, you know. But you know what? June's right, though. While this is all, like, dumb and everything, I loved it. I don't think June said that. Well, not dumb, but, like, simple. And I, yeah, it's... It's perfect. It's simple. Everyone gives a high-five freeze frame at the end. It's perfect. Like... <laughs> it's the straight story of the westerns. <laughs> it's, I think a lot of that was um, intentional as well. Um, one of the big things with this movie is that it was a direct rebuttal to High Noon. Hmm. The the premise in High Noon, there's a lot of the main character, the sheriff, kind of struggling to round up a posse and like pretty much asking for help. And John Wayne thought that was weak. So he's like, we're going to make a movie where all the characters are badass. I'll do it myself. Yeah. Is that really what this movie was based off of? I mean, not in its entirety, but I think it's a big motivation. Wait, did John Wayne, like, direct or have any kind of decision in this film? I'm sure he had a lot of input because he's John Wayne, but... Uh, I, uh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I, I, not John Wayne, but the... Hawk, Howard fucking, Hawk. Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, if this film was like directed by john wayne and he made himself look like the old badass who gets a 22 year old girl <laughs> i just that's that's some woody allen shit <laughs> <laughs> watch next week <laughs> annie wayne so what i will say <laughs> what i will say about that june is it's kind of interesting because you know to contrast with high dude which, which i haven't seen um but you know, when you describe the the sheriff as struggling to round up a posse and get help, 
you know, all of the characters make transformations where dude goes from this drunk to a, a real deputy and a crisis of faith along the way. Uh, Colorado does the Han Solo thing where he doesn't want to get involved until he does and he joins in. Uh, Stumpy, you know, gets it's out of the Stumpy. prison into the game <laughs> or whatever. He's chewy. But it really doesn't feel like John Wayne's character changes that much. He refuses help. He doesn't want to deal with other people in the end he only kind of sort of goes along with feathers his his <laughs> advances yeah and he's really not that good like what did he do like he wasn't like he wasn't a crack shot i agree he it, it's very hard to say this is a john wayne movie you know if anything it's a dean martin movie with yeah john wayne playing some weird dad character <laughs> <laughs> Like he he was OG Obi Wan circa New Hope. <laughs> like he should have just been there in the beginning to develop D- Dean Martin's character, and then just like rode off in the sunset yeah, or whatever. I gotta ride this stagecoach because this lady keeps trying to have sex with me. <laughs> like, yeah, at an hour and twenty minutes, he should have been shot down to give like an arc to the movie. <laughs> well, even the end, like it's so frustrating because you think like that's where they got the payoff. Is like he's kind of a closet romantic or something where he's like, you're right, I've always liked you. He's just like, take that off, you look terrible. Pilgrim? <laughs> she's, she's trying to seduce him, and again, he's like, okay, I guess. Honestly, yes. I just keep pretending that that whole arc didn't exist. It's so, so awful. It like She's not a bad actress. It's just terrible. Uh, Wikipedia, so the scene is, you know, he comes back, and she's wearing this kind of... Uh, <laughs> boudoir type outfit or something that she's going to wear when she sings at the hotel right mm-hmm. um wikipedia describes this saying chance does not approve of anyone seeing her in that outfit unless it is him implying he and feathers will soon be wed what wait what <laughs> it, that implied that <laughs> Well, well, there's also um, the implication, I guess, where she's all, I know you love me. He's like, you go out there, I'll arrest you for being a whore or something. (laughs) You finally said it. He's like, you do love me. (laughs) Oh, She implied it throughout the entire film. I think we talked about this like pre this podcast, but the entire film, at one point she talked about her past jobs and she implied that she used to dress like this at her past jobs while she was putting on some lingerie. It's like, if you're working at a bar in a saloon in a little town, like, how apparent do you need to be? Her, yeah, her, her character is a little wonky. And I, I just think it would have been better if John Wayne, like, kind of just, just, like, admits, like, yeah, I just had to be focused on this, but I really do like you. And then, like, just pulls her in and she's like, I knew it. But instead, it's like, she's like, okay, kiss me. <laughs> He's like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> He's the if, old guy yeah. that shows up at the strip club at the end of the night. <laughs> If he had admitted a single iota of vulnerability at the end of this movie, I think it would have been a a big improvement in his character. Yeah, but we're also saying this from now. Like, back then, it probably played like, man, what a badass. He just does not care at all. All right, well, uh, any final words about this movie as a whole before we kind of move on and start talking about miscellaneous stuff about the movie i uh i really like this film it it rekindled my love of westerns 
I mean, I've said this a billion times, but this movie was great for how straightforward it was. Yeah, this is a better straight story. Straight stories should have had more gunfights. When I say straightforward, that does not in any way relate this movie to a straight story. Can you imagine if a straight story led to a gunfight with his brother I... at the end? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he just throwing dynamite. On what? riding lawnmowers. What parallel do you see between this movie and a straight story, Shane? How is this a better straight story? The word association with the word straight. That's it. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, like, visual association, they had cowboy hats. <laughs> uh, I, i'm just waiting for this missing link to be filled in for me just move on <laughs> <laughs> let me have this so i mean I, I will say thinking of a gunfight at the end of a straight story is pretty funny <laughs> now imagine that that shootout at the end of straight story is with robocop <laughs> 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 his his brother's RoboCop, and he didn't have a stroke. He just had a short circuit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wait, we're, we're off the fucking rails. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so, as far as this movie, uh, of course, it's a big hit. John Wayne, if I understand right, was already a big deal at this time. So, on like a one point two million dollar budget, this brought in nearly six million. Um, Jesus Christ. For yeah. 1959? Yeah, pretty successful. Um, I just want to read you the text off of the poster for this one, just to just to see what everyone's reaction is. Uh, image of, you know, illustrated the three of them. John Wayne, the big guy with the battered hat, and <laughs> Dean Martin, the ragged woman wreck cast off called Dude, and Ricky Nelson, the rockin' baby-faced gun-fisted kid. And time was running out through bullet holes at Howard Hanks or ha- Howard Hawks Rio Bravo. Gunfist. It goes on to say, <laughs> if I were if I were called the baby face <laughs> anything, I'd be upset. <laughs> it goes on to say, you've seen nothing like them together, and in the heat and hate of Rio Bravo, nothing can tear them apart. Boy, they never saw a Michael Bay film then. I don't think they saw this fucking movie. <laughs> and the uh, the movie or the poster continues to add in the rest of the act- actors and actresses and Angie Dickinson feathers the one girl who could give the big guy a hard time. <laughs> Did they just have a program that writes with the like? <laughs> and Walter Brennan, old stumpy, no teeth, one leg, but all the rest was guts. <laughs> I fucking love it. And Ward Bond, Wheeler, a chunk of solid granite now crumbling with age. Jesus Christ, how big is this poster? And John <laughs> Russell, we're dead. Wheeler was in it for like 20 minutes. <laughs> you keep walking at the movie theater, it's just another poster continued. <laughs> Rio Bravo. All right. Burdette, he was the knife poised at the throat of Rio Bravo. Consuela, the... <laughs> <laughs> Consuela, the only one that spoke Spanish in the entire film. The fifth and final box that says, and Dean and Ricky sing too. My Rifle, My Pony and Me, Rio Bravo, and Cindy. Oh my god. (laughs) They had to fucking put their album in. So, I have a question for the group. Imagine yourself in 1959 or whatever. You go to the theater, watch this movie, and there's no songs. 
Would you have walked out of it being like, I can't believe they cast Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson and they didn't sing anything? <laughs> to not see that one coming. It's like seeing a Will Smith film and he didn't rap the intro. <laughs> All right, well, we're not talking about Wild Wild West. <laughs> like, do you think there would have been, like, people were expecting a song to be sung by those two? Or, you know, if I learned anything from the last picture show, it's that there was lots of shit going on in the 50s, like nudist swimming parties, and I probably wouldn't have given a shit about a movie. <laughs> did they, do you think they did it with test audiences and there was, like, a riot in the theater that Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson didn't sing, so they just went back and added <laughs> right. that scene? Like, Huh. Test audiences are freaking out. We gotta get Dean to croon. Well, I just googled it. That's bullshit. It took, it cost forty six cents back in the fifties to like go to a movie. That's only eight dollars and sixty five cents now. So, I don't care if they don't sing or that's a good, good movie. Like, I feel like people thought more that they should be getting from it. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can cut all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to make a comment on how that's crazy they hit 6 million when each ticket was 46 cents. <laughs> if they wanted a song, they could pay more. Suck it up. <laughs> that was much more deep than what my point was. That's fucking insane that they're paying 46 cents for a movie. How the hell did they hit 6 million? Good point. <laughs> Anyway, so as far as critical reception of this, I guess it kind of took a while to gain some steam. Uh, did not win or was even nominated for any Academy Awards. Um, not that you need to be to be a good movie, but, uh, you know, it, it was not critically acclaimed in the same way some of our other movies were. Uh, but overall, pretty successful. And, you know, as the test of time has proven, this movie ended up being pretty good. Um yeah, so with that said, let's uh, go into the most crucial part of this podcast where we rank these movies ourselves. Now, where do you all rank this movie among the ones we've seen? Shane, where do you put it? Okay, so I really, actually really like this movie. Um, my flaws are all nitpicky, and I'm going to put it at number four above Sleuth. Wow. Yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I, I, there's some things I think could be fixed, but I think that's me looking from a modern perspective at it. If I would have saw this in 59, I would have grabbed a cap gun and tried to be a cowboy. Nice. Um, I'll go next. You know, I I think this movie, or my list is kind of divided into the movies that I thought were w really, truly excellent. Um, and those that were great, but not incredible and i think this one falls right at the top of that great but not incredible list so i'm gonna put it at number five just ahead of ratatouille Still uh pretty high it was it was a tough choice whether this went ahead of or behind kill bill volume two but i think i think five is the right place for it on my list kill bill volume two would not exist if it weren't for movies like rio bravo yeah i'm i'm looking forward uh, a lot to discussing the influence of westerns on other genres too. I think, I mean, I think we're gonna have a riot talking about Star Wars. Oh Absolutely. yeah, that well, like just not even Star. It's everything. Like you don't notice it until you watch old westerns again. You're like, oh my god, there's nothing that isn't based off old westerns. <laughs> yeah, this movie this movie inspired uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen and Forty Days a Night, as I 
poorly put earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it's Mike. This 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 movie did act- actually inspire Assault on Precinct 13, though. Ah, there you go. Which anyway. inspired the second Assault on 13th Precinct. Uh, Assault on Precinct 14. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, where do you put this movie? No, I actually stand like the 40 Days a Night reference more than the other. So. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, so this movie lands... It's pretty high up for me as well. It's going to go between... Um, it's going to go above Ratatouille and Sleuth. So I guess that's a little bit lower than you guys, but it's, it's ninth for me. So not better than... The Straight Story. The Straight Story. But it definitely beats Ratatouille, which was your guys's. Wait, wait a minute. Annie Hall is higher than than this movie? (laughs) (laughs) This is my list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. And June, we'll let you bring us home. Where do you put this one? Well, right off the bat, for now, I can tell you it's in my top 20 movies. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a tough competition to get in there. Throughout all this, it's going to be a little... uh, biased i think just because i really truly love westerns um but all things considered number i I put it at number five as well uh between kill bill and ratatouille oh i did not think that i'd rank it one higher than you interesting yeah coming into this i don't know that i would have thought shane would put it the highest though i mean i think the consensus is that this is a pretty good movie I think what it also says, though, about June is this is the kind of subpar of the um, actual Western movies. Oh. Yeah, there's definitely Westerns I can think of right off the bat that beat it. But I I think this movie benefited from its, you know, straightforwardness, as we've we've said multiple times. Uh, It was very refreshing. And as much as I like, you know, deep, thought-provoking movies, every now and then it is very nice to... Just kind of sit through it and enjoy a movie for what it is. Yeah. If I could defend my ranking, I would say that this movie was entirely way too long. I can agree yeah. with the length. It needed to have some fat trimmed. Yeah. But Two hours and 20 minutes is a lot to ask for any movie this side of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Even that fucking movie was way too fucking long. <laughs> that was a good movie. Going back to one of the straightforward things that I didn't like is why why the fuck was this film called Rio Bravo? That's... The town was named Rio Bravo. Yeah, I mean, was yeah, it? like what not the... that that was well communicated. It, it was never just, it could have been called such the a weak title. No, I would have called this movie Deguayo. Oh. or like you know, there's so much that it could have been done, but I would have called it Baracho. So <laughs> recap me real quick. Is Deguayo a real song, or is it a song that was uh, written for this movie? It is a real song. It was most famously played by General Santa Ana on the okay, Assault okay. on the Alamo. That's badass. That's a badass song. So this was just arranged for this movie? Yes. That's a fantastic name for a movie. Deguayo, right? El Deguayo. All right, so the final verdict and the, the moment of truth for any movie. Do we recommend watching this movie? June, why don't you start us off? Yes, absolutely. Shane? Yep, go see it. It's awesome. Mike? Uh, I'm sorry. No, it was it was kind of long and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. Hey, it's your list. 
<laughs> I don't I don't recall though. What did you say? Did you recommend Annie Hall? I don't know. <laughs> Consult the archives. <laughs> I keep the, I don't remember what I said yesterday. <laughs> the criteria that by which Mike judges these movies are not meant for us mortals to understand. <laughs> He's transcended us. <laughs> with that with that said, I do recommend watching this movie, but it's okay to take a quick little cat nap at some parts. <laughs> I keep blending now that we brought it up earlier that Annie Hall and this movie, I just keep recasting John Wayne as uh, oh shit, what's the main actor in Annie Hall? What's his name? <laughs> just, are you shitting me? <laughs> I, just, I don't need to help. This is crazy. <laughs> tell me his he name. murdered a guy. I, I, can't, I can't let him go. <laughs> You're, you're definitely not hitting the right guy. Hey, you're still doing the same thing. Every time you try to impersonate Woody Allen, you Christopher Walken. Jack, Woody Jack, Allen. Jack, this is the part where you go, all right. All right. <laughs> Good chat, everyone. And next week, we'll be back to talk about the 1958 film Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Now let's get the fuck out of here before Shane can say anything else. 